Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now, with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back. We have a very interesting guest today who has a very unique perspective on engaging and giving back to the community. So, his name is Daryl. And we're going to go through a series of steps in our interview. And uh, I'll be asking a number of questions. And then there'll be some discussion and uh, methods of how to reach Daryl. And uh, if you have interest in terms of what he's doing, we can uh, connect you. And you can use some of the techniques and methods that he's using to be uh, very successful. So, hi, Daryl, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Peter. Glad to be on, and uh, yeah, pleasure to be with you today. Okay. So, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about your ac- academic background and how it's maybe helped you in terms of what you're doing? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've done post-secondary, of course, uh, I should say, of course, because there are folks out there that don't do it. But um, I, I've done two stints in it. So my first years and years ago, I went to a technical college for electronic engineering technology, RCC it's called. So it's a very electronic engineering focused school. Uh, I graduated in 92 from that school. So what happens, this school takes a, a normally a three-year program at a, a community college and condenses it down to a year and a half. So I've got my electronics technologist um, certification, we'll say. Um, so I worked in the industry for a while, and I decided um, that I wanted to go in more of the information systems route. So I went back to school um, to Sheridan College, actually. I got to advanced placement for that. Um, did two years of that. I believe I started in, ooh, I think it was 96. I graduated in 98. Yeah, it's kind of in the midst of the whole dot-com, um, you know, Internet 1.0, as they call it. So, yeah, I did that, graduated, um, and I started working for small startup company at that time, um, doing some kind of wireless um, software development work. So I started off as a software developer um, and then kind of worked my way into different roles. So that was really my first taste of working for a small startup company in the whole startup um, ecosystem, we'll call it. Um, and again, that was around tail end in 1998 into 1999 when the dot-com boom was really hitting its stride, um, you know, web companies and there's a lot of money being thrown around at different companies to do different things. Um, Netscape was massive back then as well. Obviously, they made the first real interactive browser that people were using, Netscape Navigator, for those who remember that. Um, but, yeah, interesting times for sure. Uh, fun times in some respects, but uh, other times not so much because when you're in the startup mode, you're always grinding. Um, I did that for a couple of years, um, and then I decided as I, you know, I settled down, got a family, got married, what have you, that I wanted to have something more stable, so I moved my way to more a corporate IT role. Um, doing information systems still um, and business analysis, business system analysis. And in my last stint before venturing off, you know, into the entrepreneurship side of things with, uh, was a role at Deloitte where I worked for the internal consulting group um, implementing information systems to benefit the business because they do a lot of this externally. Deloitte will go out in the field and consult and implement information systems to make the business more efficient so they want to actually take their own medicine and do it themselves, make their own efficiencies um, materialize and have what they call paperless office and things like that. So I last about a year there. Consulting companies are a different breed. I really wasn't cut up for that kind of environment. Um, but uh, if you can hack it, it's, uh, you can learn a lot for sure. Okay. So that led you to 
look at the whole entrepreneurial approach. And as a result of that, you decided to develop your own organization. Yes, because at the time, um, actually, yeah, I kind of missed a step. But in between, one of the career, um, one of my jobs, we'll say, was working for a company very called The Source, um, you know, electronics retailer, coast to coast here in Canada. Um, And I left that job, um, and um, I didn't have an immediate job afterwards. Tip to those out there, don't leave a job before committing to another one because <laughs> you could be an employee for a while, which I was for about six, seven, eight months. And then during that time frame between the source employment and New York at Deloitte, I actually started looking at this whole concept called Makerspace. I knew of this stuff before, and I'm a maker, you know, a small M maker, we'll say, meaning I just, I've always hacked about my garage building stuff, and motorcycles, and things like that, because um, I've always loved that. My mind's always geared towards that kind of thing. So I knew this whole makerspace concept and makerspace is really kicking off, you know, seven, eight years ago. Um, and I said, I'd love to see if we could actually bring something like that here in the New York region, specifically New Market area, because that's where I live in currently. And uh, I started to put together, do the legwork, really, to figure out how I could make this a reality. Um, you know, I started some meetup groups to meet folks. That's how I met you, Peter, um, almost five odd years ago. Um, and okay, met a couple wait, other yeah, folks. Hold, hold on now. You, you, you've, hit <laughs> me with a, you've hit me with a terminology that our listeners won't understand. Can you explain yes, what Makerspace is? Yes, absolutely. No, you're right. So it's, it's, it's becoming more well-known, but um, it wasn't as much so far uh, as it has been. So, yeah, so Makerspace really is a facility that um, provides resources, namely equipment, um, like woodworking equipment, um, could be metalworking equipment, um, could be digital fabrication equipment like 3D printers, laser machines, um, could be textiles equipment, sewing, um, knitting equipment, it's a place where folks in the community can use um, on a month-to-month um, basis, like a gym, um, to carry out making activities. So if you have an idea of a project you want to create, your challenge being that you don't have access to certain equipment to do that, um, a makerspace is a great place because, again, for a relatively low-cost amount of money per month, you have access to a facility plus the tools, the workbench, and the workspace, and as important, a community of peers, makers that like to make things. So you can have all the support you need from an equipment tool standpoint, support from a community standpoint. Um, a lot of times there's workshops that you can partake in as well. So they're a great space in the community just to get involved in the whole making world. Um, making's really been taken off over the last 10 years, and there's people that have been able to transition from making as a side interest into a you know, side hustle, as they'll say, into a full-fledged business for themselves. And, um, yeah, so making can take all, all variations. Making is big in schools these days because it's kind of part of a STEM education, the whole idea of being science, technology, engineering, math. Um, and a makerspace that I was able to get off the ground, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure, is um, more fully featured than most makerspaces because a lot of times, especially in the educational sphere of things, when you mention makerspace, people envision a small room or a portion of a library or a classroom that has a 3D printer too. Um, you know, and we've always, myself and the others who started this venture a number of years back, envisioned something a little more comprehensive. So that's what we have today. When, today, I, when I first visited your place, you also mm-hmm. had a co-working space, I think. We did. You're right. So, I mean, that's, we started off on a multi-pronged approach with trying to offer these services to the community. So co-working space is tacked onto it as well. So the idea being 
we know there's folks in the community that wanted to do making activity, you know, woodworking, metalworking, but some of these folks actually want to do it as a livelihood, as entrepreneurs, and they may need a place to work from, do their business work from, and or there's people that may just want a desk to work from as well. So that's, we did that for about three odd years from, from the start of this space, which you call New Make It, um, from 2016 until probably about 2018, um, we had both this physical maker space, which the tools and all that fun stuff, and we also had a co-working space, which, you know, folks could rent a desk on a month-to-month basis to do business activity. But we moved to a newer space over a year ago um, here in the heart of Newmarket, and uh, the size of space, because we actually shrunk square footage-wise, didn't allow us to do the co-working. And it's good in a way because it allows us to focus more on really what um, our core competency is, which is offering a better maker experience to members of the community and offering more programming workshops and things of that nature. Well, that's terrific. So the, mm-hmm. the new place, how many uh, members would there be? I would say it ranges, um, bounce up and down, but on an average, probably 80-odd members. So not a massive amount, but, uh, you know, significant enough. But I think what we found out over the, doing this for the last, you know, four-plus years um, is that the sweet spot, the engagement point in the community really is workshops, project workshops specifically. So um, there's a lot of folks, and as I jokingly say, they have three hours, they can commit three hours of an evening, you know, in any given month maybe, um, they have eighty, ninety dollars to spend, and they want to be entertained. They want an experience to uh, involve themselves in. Um, so we find a lot of uptake by offering project workshops where folks can do just that. So they, you know, they can enroll for a three-hour or so workshop. They come into it um, with five other people because most of the workshops usually are between five to eight people, um, and they can actually make something. You know, have a, make, have a fun social experience, have a fun making experience. They're not learning something in a traditional sense of you know classroom learning, whatnot, but it's really. Um, just get into it, make something, have fun. You have a takeaway, you have something you maybe can take home, you know, show off to family, friends, um, have an experience that you can speak of. Some of these folks will never do this again, and that's okay. Some of them may want to do carry on, do more of this in other what I call curated experiences, workshops. And out of that, a percentage of them may want to actually be a full-fledged member at New Make It to continue making experiences on their own. I think earlier on in our life cycle of New Make It, what the challenge we found was a lot of folks came to the door of New Make It. They loved the idea of what this makerspace was all about. You know, allow them to do all this kind of stuff, but they get, um, it's almost a classic case of paralysis by analysis. It's just they overthink it. They don't know how to, they don't know where to start. Um, they're intimidated, you know, with some of the tools, even though we do offer training, you know, all our tools, you know, the bigger ones, we offer training certification on it so that you know how to use it safe and effectively. But still, there's always that hurdle to overcome as to what can I make, you know. So people, I think, have been gravitating more, to the, more towards the workshops because, again, there's some of the facilities the workshops, so there's obviously that built-in support help, and just, there's a social aspect to it as well. So I think we've not transitioned away from membership, but we've um, de-emphasized in our part the membership side of things. We always welcome members, we always have memberships, but... I think our first approach in the community is to get the workshops out there, offer interesting, varied workshops. People come in for that, and then if they want to be a member to actually continue on making experiences self-directed, then they can do that, and we'll be there to support them as well. Okay. So tell me, can you give me some examples of the names and subject matter of some of these workshops? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, woodworking uh, is is popular so intro to woodworking we have intro to woodworking 101 intro to woodworking 201 we have a great uptake with a lot of metal stuff um a lot of folks love to get into metal but it's intimidating intimidating due to the lack of knowledge and or the tools needed so if you ever wanted to learn to weld 
we have a workshop to teach you that intro to MIG welding, which is our one-on-one course. And there's a next layer of welding, it's a different welding process called TIG. So intro to TIG welding, which is a two-on-one course. Um, we were funded actually um, for a specific program last starting late last year, or actually early this year. We got the funding actually late last year, or we put the application in late last year, rather. Anyway, it's called the Metal Arts Program. So we were able to offer some more varied metalworking courses. One of the ones that's been getting a lot of uptake, which is fun because a TV show is based around, and not ours, unfortunately, but, you know, a TV show in general um, is blacksmithing. So a lot of folks, uh, their first intro to blacksmithing is, you know, watching Forge the Fire. I've watched that for a number of seasons now. And the idea of taking a metal, heating it up, and using hammers and tools to bang this metal into some shape. Blacksmithing has been around for generations, you know, centuries. Um, so we've been able to offer that to the public, um, which has been uh, had a great uptake. Um, a lot of jewelry making courses uh, that we have, whether it's kind of um, casting jewelry courses or handcrafted jewelry using copper. Um, we're trying to expand that, of course, as well. Those have been have a great uptake in the community. Um, ceramics, um, ceramics are just going crazy. So pottery, you know, ceramics slash pottery, because we have our own kiln. Um, as well, and so we have you know um, hand. What are they called? Um, using how to use a pottery wheel. That's very fun. I haven't used it myself yet, but a lot of folks are just enthralled with that. So we have like five or six different pottery courses, from a simple one-off, one session to a six-week, you know, a more comprehensive workshop. Um, glass working. We have a glass kiln in our facility as well. Um, so folks can do fused glass um, workshops. Yeah, we just have range, you know, and we're finding more of these kind of crafting or industrial arts workshops are really um, capturing the imagination of the public and uh, the community, and that's what they want, and that's what, they, that's what they're very enthused and excited about. So I think that's our sweet spot for the time being is just to really drive deep into that, and hopefully out of that we will get increase our membership base because some folks may want to actually get, be a member and do it themselves, be self-directed, and others may not want to, and that's okay because they may take a series of these workshops um, you know, and just have these fun experiences that they can um, entertain themselves with and, um, yeah, just, you know, personal self-development, all that fun stuff. Daryl, one of the uh, challenges that I see for maker spaces is you've talked about a lot of equipment and a lot of space. <laughs> How do maker spaces, uh, are they able to uh, get revenue streams to support this kind of activity? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Peter, because it's funny. I was at this conference. My um, the executive director of our space was there a couple weeks back, but they had this what they call Future of Making on conference hosted by um, the Maker Festival Toronto and the Ontario Science Centre just to address some of these concerns because there was kind of a apex point or, a, you know, kind of a peak point, we'll call it, where makerspace and the whole making, making phenomena, movement, culture really hit its stride over the last couple of years, but it's sort of taken a downturn, not due to lack of interest, maybe to a certain extent, but it's more just the sustainability of spaces. So again, great question. So for us, we found um, you have to be very varied in, the, in what you're offering so that you can really monetize every square foot of your space. I think we started, you know, a number of years back. Well, to give you the backstory, origin story, to a certain extent, and you make it is um, when we started conceptualizing a major space, what it was all about, in late 2015, you know, shortly, probably six months after I met you and you were part of some discussions in the southern part of York region, um, we were fortunate, maybe misfortunate to a certain extent, to have met with York, York region. I don't mean it in a disparaging way, but I'll explain what I mean. 
they loved what we were intending to do with the makerspace, and they said there's a grant available because we're a not-for-profit um, organization. So they said there's a grant available to help folks like yourselves that are aspiring to do this kind of makerspace stuff. So we looked at this grant application. It was almost like it was written for us because they mentioned makerspace in there, mentioned small batch manufacturing, support entrepreneurs. So this grant was from, uh, I think it was the Economic Development Branch of the Ontario government funneled through the York Region Economic Development Office, um, all about supporting entrepreneurship in the York Region. So one of the ways they figured entrepreneurship could be supported at a very grassroots level is through maker spaces and facilities that enabled small batch manufacturing to occur. So again, we loved everything because it ticked all the boxes we were striving to do with our space. Because we weren't just on folks on a space that catered towards the hobbyist side of things, but also space that could um, cultivate um, entrepreneurs, you know, folks that wanted to make stuff and you make a livelihood out of it, they could find a home in our space to actually get underway. Because again, just briefly, if you want to be a, hardware entrepreneur we need our physical goods entrepreneur what i call artisanal manufacturing entrepreneur you know you need tools to make this product you sell it online or in stores or festivals you need tools that's always the biggest cost to um, you know you're getting off the ground so our space can you know bring that cost down and de-risk it for you so we were able to get a grant um, through York Region from the Ontario government to get started so we got a grant in 2016 for six months we got a grant again in 2017 for six months so there's a good and bad to that. The great side is obviously you get money um, to actually deliver on this concept you have in mind. You know, you have to meet certain metrics. The government always has that in mind when you when they stole money to you. You have to hit deliverables so they can show that their money is being well invested and um, they can make, you know, justify why they're doing what they're doing. The downside all the time is that they give you a very short window of time to prove your business. So when they gave us this money in 2016 in January, six months was for and then again, we said, well, we love the fact you gave us money. We'd love more so we can actually continue doing our great work. So it gave us another six months starting in January 2017. So again, the downside is that they really they have very compressed windows of you having to prove that this business concept works. So you can make things work for the short term, but the challenge is long-term wise. It, it jeopardizes your long-term thinking when you have grants that force you to think in a six-month window. So you make decisions based on six months that probably if you had three years to think about it, or three years to play, that you wouldn't make those decisions because you're trying to get numbers that you can justify to the government why they, you know, they gave you the loan or the grant, rather, and why they should give you more money. So, again, it's like a battle between short-term tactical thinking and, you know, mid- to longer-term strategic thinking. Um, that we have to fight, you know, and we found our way now a bit more because we're finding the sweet spot in terms of what the community wants from New Make It, and we're starting to really address and turn the corner on that and pivot. You know, we, you know, you, you know, you know that more than I do. Working with a number of companies and business plans, that you always have a set um, list of expectations or assumptions when you start a business or venture, um, and things will change. The eyes do, you know, you, uh, you, and that's fine. You always make an assumption as to how things are going to unfold, where the revenue is going to come from, what your business model looks like. And as you get into it, you know, um, this business model will change, and it's really up to you as an entrepreneur to pivot um, and to correct quickly so that you can address opportunities that you didn't weren't on your radar when you first thought of this concept, but now do present themselves. And, you know, um, and I've always said to my, you know, myself, I tell myself this and others, I say, I don't get romantic about a lot of stuff that I do. What I get, what I fall in love with and what I get romantic about, if that's the word, is what I'm trying to solve, you know, the impact that I'm making in the community, you know, but I don't get romantic or very invested in the way I'm doing it. Um, because that can change and always change. But what I, you know, I love the impact, but if I have to change the way I get towards having the impact, that's fine. Well, Gerald, that's, that's great. I think one of the things that I really like about your organization, 
is where you're a social enterprise and you are a social enterprise. Absolutely. Because you give back to the community. And one of the uh, programs that you were doing, I'm not sure whether you still are, is where you go out into the community and do repairs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. No, you're right, Peter. We are still doing that. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, that's one of my favorite programs that we do. I mean, a lot of stuff happens within the four walls of our space that we make it here, that facility in um, our makerspace facility in Newmarket. But we also partner with other folks in the community to offer other services that engage the community. So York Region um, Waste Management Group um, almost two and a half years ago approached us um, about putting on repair cafes. Uh, they found that about, they knew about this concept for the last number of years and they actually went into Toronto to um, look into this concept more and they went to the Toronto 2 Library at the time and they were notified by the Toronto 2 Library. By the way, there's this makerspace in your backyard called New Make It that you should probably look into. So they actually came to us. Um, so I was the point leading a lot of that from the New Make It end. But yeah, really the idea behind repair cafes is that um, it's trying to reduce landfill usage. Um, a lot of us unfortunately purchase things and not any of our fault, but manufacturers make product that cannot be repaired. Decades and decades ago, that was always the norm. You could always repair things if you're handy or you're so inclined, but that's less the case today. So our idea was um, this actually, it's not our idea as we make it, but it's York Region Waste Management Group's idea because they have a whole strategy up until this year called um, Smart Living. And one of the platforms, the Smart Living Plan, was how can, how can they engage the community, educate them, make them aware of landfill usage, how to reduce that in a way that really resonates with them. So they came up with the idea of let's run these repair cafes, which again is not a new idea. It's, it was first run in Europe decades ago. It's just actually made its way over North America's side of the last, you know, maybe 10 years, we'll say. So yeah, they looked, they were looking for a partner to actually deliver this concept. I love, they wanted to, you know, we're trying to do, and I said, you know, we as we make, would love to assist you with that. So the idea is that we, um, with York Region Waste Management Group, go to different community spaces, whether it's libraries or community centers, you know, or some room in a mist block or somewhere, someplace. And we host these repair cafes, usually on the weekend on a Saturday, whether it's 10 to 1 or Sunday 1 to 4, something like that, for three or four hours. Community members can sign up and they bring anything they have to get repaired. We usually try to a six to one item per person, just makes it fair for everyone. Um, we won't um, promise we'll get it repaired, but we'll attempt. And the nice thing is it really engages on a lot of fronts. So obviously engages people. These are all free, by the way. So it engages people in the community to bring stuff out and kind of be educated on waste management and landfill usage and trying to reduce your carbon footprint and all that. But it also engages people um, to actually give back too, because a lot of the volunteers, they're just that volunteers, they're not doing it for monetary reasons, they're doing it because they love the concept and they want to give back as well. So there's so much giving back. And what we found, which is fantastic, is that um, it's almost a social outlet for a lot of folks. We have a lot of retired folks, you know, they're quite handy because that whole generation of folks are very handy and hands-on, which is awesome. Um, you know, seniors in our community um, that love to be partaking this and they, you know, assist, they have fun, they fix and engage, in, you know, and um, just do their, their part to give back as well. It's interesting because there's a big push from different levels of government to um, host programs, whether themselves directly with other partners, to engage seniors in the community because what they're finding is as our population ages, seniors are not getting out as much, you know, they're not being included in the community and activities. Um, so there's a big push to find activities that seniors can be involved with to get them out, you know, to kind of keep them stimulated. Um, because, you know, obviously studies have shown if you're stimulated and you're engaged that, you know, your, your quality of life increases. And um, these folks, a fantastic generation of folks, have a lot to give. Um, so we found it fantastic that a lot of the fixers, as we call them, these folks that, you know, fix stuff at the repair cafes are seniors 
you know, making use of their skills, you know, and having a way to engage them in a very fun, um, fun, productive way as well. So I love these. I, I go to everyone I can that we are part of with the organization because I love to give back. I love to, you know, just give back and, and just help, you know, and just uh, be part of a program. I think that has a lot of value and worth to the community. So a great program that, uh, you know, we've done for the last two and a half years is York Regional Waste Management Group, and we're doing more again this year in 2020. And what we're trying to encourage is any space out there was a library or a community group that has a space, a church group, um, what have you, you know, any religious group, that if you have space, um, you know, look to York Regional Management Group. They have a whole book with a whole guide that they've created to how you can run one of these yourself. Um, so they'll equip you with all the tools, the marketing, everything else, um, and even assist you with getting volunteers. So that's the biggest challenge honestly so getting volunteers but if you're a church group religious group you have a built-in membership base or anyway so that shouldn't be a huge problem but yeah if you're any groups out there that's interested in this kind of thing um you know you can contact me my contact info i'm sure will be at the end of this podcast but um or you know directly hit up your region waste management group um they'd love to help you um get one of these off the ground Daryl, you've done a lot of great stuff so looking forward say over the next two years Where's Daryl going and where the organization you're working with? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I've, my role in you make it, I've made it, I've diminished it a bit, you know, self-imposed because um, I'm less involved in the day-to-day operations. I'm still part of the board. I'm, you know, I run a lot of the strategy behind the scenes. I think my value is more of that. Um, so I think what we're going to do as we move forward with you make it um, over the next year or two is just to really offer more varied workshops, more programming, um, our space, we have 5,000 square feet to play with, and honestly, it's too small now. Um, so we're hoping as we move through the course of this year, next year, we can figure out how we can add on to that. Um, we're starting discussions with the town because we've mentioned a few things in the past. We have to see if that's still viable or not, um, but just to see if we can do more because we know that there's a demand out there for things we're not doing today, you know, really to support more entrepreneurs. Um, you know, people, even artists, there's a whole artistic community uh, out there that would love to have working space, visual, um, professional studio space um, that, you know, we'd love to cater to, but we don't have the room, the facility to do so. Um, so we're always looking for partnerships to bring some of this to light and make it happen because we can't do it ourselves, never want to do it ourselves. I think it's part of the whole social enterprise side, you know, mentality anyway. You're not really trying to be an island onto yourself. You're really trying to see how can I form partnerships with other groups to have the impact desired that's going to impact people positively. And uh, for me, that's what that's what gets my motor running daily is just, you know, the impact we're having. What can I do, you know, to continue the impact and really make, you know, the community more prosperous, more um, inclusive, you know, just better off because we exist, because these services exist, a space like we make and others exist. Uh, you know, there's other spaces being stood up, you know, different parts of Ontario. You know, whether it's Barry, um, you know, for instance, I know they're working and trying to get a space themselves or other parts as well. It's encouraging to hear that because I think communities are well served with a space like, you know, a, a makerspace or a community workshop um, with the programs that go with it as well. So um, any, we get calls and, you know, inquiries all the time. And I'm, I'm more than glad to talk to folks about how we started and the challenges we faced and how they can get off the ground and get something going for themselves as well. And that brings me to my final area. And that's uh, you obviously have a good business model that's been very successful. And what if somebody wanted to replicate or do the same thing? How could they uh, reach out to you and the organization? Absolutely, yes. I mean, feel free to contact me directly. Um, I mean, I, we our our business model is always a work in progress. To be very frank, um, we're you know we 
see new things and different things each week or so, but um, we're starting on, you know, we've, the path is more clear in terms of, you know, what we should be doing and how we can get the desired results. But yes, my um, email address um, is Daryl at YorkRegionMakers.com. So that's D-E-R-R-O-L at YorkRegionMakers.com, just as it sounds. Y-O-R-K-R-E-G-I-O-N-M-A-K-E-R-S.com. And this has been a great story on uh, Daryl himself and the makerspace that he has created and become such a great success in a specific community in Ontario. Thank you very much, Daryl. Thank you, Peter. Glad to have shared my story and hope it inspires others. And please, if you're in the area, drop by for a tour. We always welcome folks wanting to see what we're up to. And uh, again, reach out to me if you have any questions, you know, both on new make at the makerspace, how we started and, you know, how we're continuing and what our plans are, whatnot, et cetera. And then to the repair cafes and other things like that, you know, please um, hit me up on that. I'd love to, you know, share our story about that as well. And if you're endeavoring to start your own repair cafe series, I'd love to connect you with the right people um, um, to get you going. So I'd love to hear from you. Just don't be shy and uh, let me know what you're thinking and I can help you out. It's all about giving back and I'm always about that.